0: good morning, morning, thank you for the welcome Dave and thank you for leading so helpfully this morning, those uh, pieces that we've been singing tie in so well with the passage we're going to look at this morning and so if you have your Bibles with you we're turning to the New Testament to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2 and it is a privilege to be here and able to share God's word with you this morning as you're turning to ephesians chapter 2 page 1174 i think in the the pew bibles uh if you have access to one of those um i was at the midweek uh, at our local church on wednesday night and very kindly the elder who was leading mentioned that i was coming to brannockstown today and the folk were praying for me coming and for you as you came to to, that you would have patience i think it was and listening to me um, one of the guys afterwards, one of the young guys who's at, at university, came to me afterwards and he said, Paul, what are you, you speaking on? I said, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. He says, Oh, wonderful. Great, great passage. He says, Such a good passage. All you have to do is read it, he said. And so I was actually going to phone Dave on Wednesday night when I got home and said, I don't need to come on Sunday. All you need to do is read Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. Maybe when the service is over today, you'll wish we only had read the passage. Um, But I'd appreciate it if you kept that to yourself. Talk about it on the way home in the car. That's fine. Um, But but, uh, no, it is a privilege to be able to share from God's word with you this morning. Let's do that together now. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Keep your Bibles open. We'll walk through these verses together in a moment or two. But before we do, let me pray for us. Father, we do thank you for the privilege of having your word in our own heart language. We do not take that for granted, Lord. We recognize there are many around the world who as yet don't have a full copy of your word that they can read and understand in full. And yet, Lord, we we recognize that, that as much as we can understand the words, we need the help of your Holy Spirit today to apply these words to our lives, to open our eyes, our spiritual eyes and hearts to what you want to teach us through your word. Lead us on with yourself. May I know the help of your Holy Spirit today. May each of us know your help as we listen. Take away those things that would distract us. And Lord, we pray that as we look into the mirror of your word today, we would be encouraged would be challenged, would be changed, would be uh, concerned, Lord, to go and live for you here where you've placed us, we pray for your glory and honour in Jesus' name. Amen. There certainly are no shortage of of dramas and films that we have access to now. There's so many different streaming platforms available to view on. And I wonder if you had the opportunity to to, to turn on, whether to Netflix or to Amazon or to, or to something else, what sort of program would, would you seek out most? For some of you, maybe it's, it's romance, for others, comedy, maybe a thriller, maybe a, a, a crime series, so much choice and variety. But I, I have a friend, um, and he's still a friend, we don't agree on everything, but but one of the, his main genre that, that he likes is, is horror movies. And in fact, at times when I've been with him, I've gone into his house and there have been, been DVDs or, or programs that he's been watching, and he seems to, to enjoy watching that, that horror film that, that's based on zombies. Now, maybe in, in Brannockstown there, there's one or two know about that. I'm not sure. I just don't get it. Forgive me if that's your thing, but, but I just don't understand it. These characters that, that have died, but yet in some way are alive, they're able to walk around, move in their arms very menacingly and frighteningly, with their faces contorted in all sorts of ways. I just don't get it. But yet it's interesting as we turn to our passage this morning, as the Apostle Paul speaks about people here, he uses those two states. About people being alive, yet also dead the seeming contradiction isn't it but yet as paul writes here he, he isn't talking about about horror films but what he's talking about is an even greater reality in terms of horror when it comes to where people find themselves before god and i want to take that theme as our first point this morning in the opening three verses of this section what we might call alive but dead you get that contradiction there, there, don't you? Look, the passage begins with Paul saying to his audience in verse 1, And you were dead. Then later on in, in verse 3, as he, as he speaks to, to those listening, he, he says, Among whom we all once lived. And so there's those two sides. People are dead, yet alive. Paul certainly doesn't have in mind here zombie films or anything like that but what is it that he's trying to get across well first we need to recognize that the people that paul is writing to they're a group of people who live in a place called ephesus they're they're christians mainly from a gentile background facing struggles facing challenges to to turn their back on the 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 god that they're following facing challenges in life just general challenges wondering being asked where is god in the midst of Of these difficulties and so paul wants to point them first and foremost to the greatness of their god reminding them that you trusted him for salvation so keep going don't give up and in turn live for him in the way that he calls you to and so as paul begins this section in in chapter 2 as we have it here he begins by by looking back to a time yes when these people were, were physically alive but yet also spiritually dead. They lived what we might call regular lives. They had, they had families, they had jobs, they had, they had hobbies, they had activities that they engaged in, just like all the people around them in Ephesus, where they live just like us today as well. But before Paul would, would get to where these people were now living in Ephesus, He wanted to point back to what was true of them in the past, not just for them, but indeed for for all people, to remind them that because of their sin, they were dead spiritually before God. Do you see that there in in verse 1? He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Sin. Sin is choosing to, to live our own way, and to ignore God's way. It's breaking God's good law and living for, for self and our own self-appointed standards rather than by God's good design. And Paul says, this is this is the way you lived. This is the way the people around you lived. In fact, this is the way that, that all people lived. Look again at verse 1 and let's read this section through. And you Wasn't just you, lived this way, says Paula. It was all of humanity. Everyone, that's the situation they find themselves in. The Bible makes it very clear why that is. Back at the very beginning, you you know it well, I, I'm sure, how sin entered the world through your first parents there in the Garden of Eden. And since then, all people, all of mankind, all of humanity, whoever They are, wherever they are, have, as it were, this death sentence hanging over them. Do you remember how that came about? How God had had given Adam and Eve free course throughout that garden with, with one restriction, that they weren't to eat of that one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Otherwise, God said they would die. Then, of course, we know the tempter came and Satan challenged them and enticed them, challenging what God had said, said, surely you won't die. And we know that as they looked, the, the fruit seemed so appealing and so attractive that instead of obeying God, they, they ate that fruit. They did what seemed best to them. And with that, sin entered into the world. And in one sense, they didn't die. Because we read that that when they ate of this fruit, they recognized that they were naked and they went and covered themselves up to try and hide from God. That's what Satan does. He twists the truth of of what God says because actually with this sin, death did enter the world. Because this world and, and all who would live in it would now feel the effects of the curse of sin. Death would now be something that people would face physically, but even worse than that, there was now spiritual death, because initially this first, these first people enjoyed that perfect relationship with God, accepted by Him. But now, because of sin, that was gone. Now they were separated from God, meaning that that ultimately, when when final physical death came. Sh- Humanity would also face that ultimate realization of of spiritual death, of that separation from God continuing for all eternity and the judgment that we deserve for our sin. that's how serious sin is. And that guilt because of sin, that death sentence passes to all who have ever been born. That's why Paul describes their status here as as sons of disobedience and as children of wrath. It was hopeless, says Paul. I like what that commentator Richard Coken says about this. He says there, there was no way out of this for them. It's almost as if there were three prison guards, three tyrants, keeping us in this hopeless state. There was the world, the flesh, and the devil. Cochran summarizes them like, Three tyrants that we are unable to overcome. Firstly, the world, an external cultural tyranny. The devil, a hostile, supernatural tyrant. And then the flesh, an internal, compulsive tyranny. We're part of the world. So much influence over us, telling us to to ignore God, live live as we want, be God of, of your own lives. That's what it is to be progressive, the world tells us. And as such, we can't escape the condemnation as being part of this world. The enemy of God, as we've said from the very beginning, has sought to keep people from God, keep them in their sin, to, to turn from God's good ways, to, to twist what God says, to make us live for self and for Satan rather than for God and our flesh that so appeals to us to go after what we want to make us feel good, to make us feel happy, no matter what that means us doing. So Paul makes it very clear that that in their sin, these Ephesians were were prisoners, unable to break free, as well as being prisoners. He also says that they were followers. And that's true, isn't it? All of us are followers, whether it's a a football team, whether it's a, a particular interest of ours. We have things that we we follow after. And Paul says here that was true for these Ephesians. Because they followed after the crowd. They followed after the crowd after sin. And and that's the easiest thing in life to do. To ignore the seriousness of that plight that we're in. And so their situation was hopeless. They were alive, yes, to engage with different activities. But Paul says you were spiritually dead. Dead. And the Bible says that's true of all people, making it clear nothing that we do can help us to break free from this prison of death to gain true life, eternal life, a life that is accepted again by God. Those first three verses paint a really bleak picture, don't they? But thankfully, that's not where it ends because Paul has looked back to where these people once were. But now he rejoices that their condition has changed. In fact, that change is shown there in verse 5. Look there with me. Even, he says, when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And so we thought about alive but dead. Let's think now about what this means, made alive, that Paul says in, in verse 5. That first section finishes at the end of verse 3 and and verse 4 acts as a a pivot, if you like, for Paul's words. Up until now, it's been the desperate state and situation these people have been in, a situation without hope. Yet verse 4 begins with those two words, but God, but God. Paul's going on to say that, that people don't become Christians by what they do, or simply by trying harder. No, the best that we can do still leaves us dead, still imprisoned, unable to escape. But the only hope for anyone is what these Ephesians had found to be true, that salvation and true life are only available because of those words, but God, because God intervened. As a holy God, he can have nothing to do with sin and God had every right to leave sinners to face the full force of his judgment. And yet Paul says, but God got involved in your predicament and in the predicament of mankind. Notice here how Paul describes God because it's so rich and, and helpful for us to think about. Firstly, he says... Recognize that God is, is rich in mercy. The Bible makes it clear that God owns absolutely everything. He he lacks nothing. He's, he's rich beyond what we can understand. But Paul wants these believers to recognize, f- focus, he says, on the fact that God is rich in mercy. It's a wonderful thing to remember, to meditate on, because it reminds us that God withholds from us what It is that we deserve. And for these Christians, Paul wants them to grasp that that mercy is a wonderful thing, but it isn't a short-term thing. It doesn't change in the way that we change our, our minds and situations, but rather God's mercy is a limitless amount because God is rich in mercy. Then notice next that Paul goes on to speak of the the love of God. He says that great love with which he loves us. God is a God of love, a God who loves perfectly. And Paul wants those Christians in Ephesus and and also today here in Brannockstown to grasp that. Recognize that God's love, it's not a a miserly love that that changes day by day depending on on how we feel or, or what we do but it's a great love, a love that's unfathomable in quantity and also in quality. That this love is something that God will never withdraw from those whom he makes alive. A wonderful truth to hold on to. Paul also emphasizes the truth very much in the the later half of, of this passage that God is also a God of grace. He mentions it in verse 5 and verse 8. By grace you have been saved. But look there at verse 7. The immeasurable riches of God's grace. Again there's that theme of overflowing abundance. Something that's immeasurable. That can't be contained. And that that's grace. We've been singing about that this morning. Think about mercy. It holds back what we deserve. But grace overflows and gives us what we don't deserve we have no right to it and that grace paul says also points to another wonderful truth about god god's immeasurable kindness toward us and so as paul points these these people he's writing to to think about their god what has taken them from death and hopelessness the chains that has taken place he reminds them remember It's nothing to do with your situation. It's nothing to do with your circumstances. It's nothing to do with those around you. It's all because of but God. This God who's rich in mercy, who's great in love, who's immeasurably rich in grace and kindness, this God who came to earth in Jesus, it's through him that this transformation is possible. Is that what the Bible says in that best-known verse. I think for many of us, even in the world outside today, the extent of God's love for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so as Jesus came into this world, he came with the ultimate goal of going to the cross As the God-man, the perfect God and and perfect man, Jesus was the only person ever to live on this earth without sin. And yet ultimately he would go to the cross there to be put to death on on charges that were made up. And that death was awful, a horrendous death, but yet the Bible tells us that, that God ultimately was behind this. At the cross, men weren't judging Jesus. But God was the perfect, sinless one, judged there by God as Jesus took my place. As he took the place of of sinners, taking the judgment that was deserved by me as a child of wrath. By all of us who followed the ways of the world, that judgment fell in all its fullness on Jesus. He took death in all its agony for sinful humanity but the wonderful news is that we know that jesus didn't remain dead on the third day he rose again and with that god said death is no longer the end there is hope there is life for the sinner who puts their faith and trust in what christ has accomplished on the cross do you see how That's the ultimate act of a merciful God. A way is made possible to not face the judgment that they deserve. And then that grace, as those who put their trust in Jesus's finished work at the cross, receive what they don't deserve. Receiving forgiveness, receiving life instead of judgment an eternal separation from God and an eternal judgment. Notice also what else Paul says there in verse 6 about our status. Yes, we're we're made alive, but he says we're also raised up with him. Newness of life, made alive as as Christ rose. Our lives are connected with him whenever we put our faith in him. We we are raised up. We have that sure and certain hope that death is not the end. And he also says in verse 6, God seated us with him in the heavenly playfuls in Christ Jesus. We might still be here on earth, but, but Paul says to these believers in Ephesus, recognize this. Your faith in Christ joins you to Christ in such a way that, that even though you're still on earth, you're as, sure, you're as sure as being there, that you're victorious, that you're accepted in the place of honor and power and rule with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth. And and God's desire, we're told here, is that this amazing intervention will be shown to all people in this wonder of salvation. This wonderful truth that even though things were, were hopeless, that people were spiritually dead, but God stepped in. And has transformed the lives of these believers that Paul writes to. And that offer of salvation is available to all. It shows who God is in all of his glory. The God who's merciful. The God who's loving. The God who's gracious. The God who is kind and what he's done and in what he continues to do. And what an encouragement that was to these believers in the situations they found themselves in. And so it should be to us today that this is still Who God is. Remember, He did this in dealing with the greatest need that any of us will ever have. And so, what a wonderful reminder that is that we can trust Him, continue to trust Him, whatever it is we're facing now or whatever it is lies ahead for us. Life can be messy. Life can be tough. You don't need me to, to tell you that. And that's why it's so good to remember that little phrase at the beginning of verse 4 But God. When things are painful, when things seem impossible, remember to us it's impossible. But God is at work. And so when you don't know where to turn, remember But God. God transforms people who are spiritually dead, he makes them alive. So we're reminded he can handle whatever it is we're facing today or in the week or months ahead according to his will and purpose. And so Paul wants these believers to remember, remember once you were alive but but dead. Remember how God has made you alive in Christ Jesus, but he's not finished. He wants to show them one final thing because he says you're alive, because you've been made alive, that doesn't mean you just sit back and and do nothing and live how you used to live. No, being alive means now you're called to live this life for God. That can be difficult for people because sometimes people just want Jesus as their, their ticket to salvation, their ticket to heaven. But Paul makes it very clear, no way, Salvation, the change that that has been made in you, being changed from sons and and daughters of of disobedience, from children of wrath, needs to mark you as a Christian in the days in which you live. That was true for first century Christians in Ephesus. It's true for 21st century Christians in Brannockstown as well. Verse 8 takes up that theme of grace once more. That well-known verse, look at it with me. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Being a Christian should lead to a life of worship. We see that throughout the Bible, but we've had it summarized so well for, it, for us in our verses this morning. Being brought from that spiritual death that all of us face, being made alive in Christ, It's nothing that we can earn, nothing that we can achieve. It's all of grace, a free gift given, offered to us by God that we don't deserve. And so God says through Paul, it's not your own doing. You you haven't earned it no matter what works you do. Yes, giving to charity, taking your neighbor to a hospital appointment, going to church, they're all good things. But none of them will make you spiritually alive. We're only saved by grace through faith. And these Ephesians that Paul writes to that put their faith and trust in in Christ alone and he reminds them and us, that's all you need. Hopefully this isn't a a sore subject for for any of you. I wonder, did any of you get get presents last Tuesday for for Valentine's Day? Um, If you didn't, just imagine for a moment, like me, that you did. um, And imagine coming and and someone offering you that present. What do you do with it? Well, of course, you you accept it. It would be a strange thing. It would be a a sad thing, actually, to tell the person to, to take the gift away. You don't want anything to do with it. Friends, that's how it is when it comes to salvation. God has done it all. In Jesus, the price has been paid in full. Salvation's available, all that's needed is to accept that that free gift that is offered by faith. And that says Paul leads to worship. Because that's a truth that, that's humbling. We we recognize that that we bring nothing. We add nothing to our salvation whatsoever. We can't boast about what we contribute. It's all of God. It's like the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And that not boasting in ourselves leads us to boast in God's goodness, his mercy, his love, his grace, and his kindness that have been so richly poured out toward us. When we recognize who God is and and what he has done, then we're, we're... we have to, to praise him. We have to, to boast in who he is and, and give our lives to him in total surrender. And that's what Paul says in, in the final verse there. He s- describes our lives, our walk as Christians. They, they should be distinctive. Now, re- recognize this, and we, we've said this already. We don't do that to, to earn salvation, but rather it's the right response in love to a loving God for what He has done for us. You see, instead of living our way, the right response is to live God's way. Humility, which doesn't boast in ourselves, says, Jesus, you're my Lord, have every part of my life. And Paul will go on later in this letter to the Ephesians to To say how how this truth should impact our our words, our temper, our giving, our our ethics, our response and relationships with others. No exceptions. God directs us as his workmanship to live for him. And that right response to his grace is to follow Jesus in loving, humble obedience to his word. That's not something that comes naturally to me, and I reckon it doesn't come naturally to any of us. But remember that change that has taken place no longer of this world, not living as those we once imitated as children of wrath, as sons and daughters of disobedience, but now as children of Almighty God. The call is to walk well, to live for Him in every part. And then finally, living this life, Paul says, also involves witnessing of God's grace to others. Look again at at verse 7. Paul reminds all what God has done for us in, in Jesus. And he says this has happened so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so, as i said, our lives should be distinctive wherever we go, whether that's at school, whether that's at university, whether that's in the coffee shop, on the sports field, wherever it is. We don't live that way to point to us, but rather to point to Him. And that, in turn, will provide opportunities to tell others of what God has done in our lives and what He continues to offer that wonderful free gift of salvation to all sinners. The good news of the gospel is that in our sin, we're dead spiritually, but that Christ came and has made us alive and that God calls us to live a life for his honour and glory. The time's gone, but as a wrap up this morning, I just want you to leave you with some questions, maybe to think about through today or in the week that lies ahead. What's your response to this passage we've thought about this morning firstly? And most importantly, which part of this passage describes you? Have you passed from death to life? Are you ignoring eternity? Are you simply trying to live by your own way to to earn God's favour? I wonder this morning, do you need this God of grace to give you life in Christ it's available, it's on offer all you need to do is turn from your sin and, and living for yourself and put your faith and trust in what Christ has done and know his righteousness in your life and acceptance with almighty God secondly if you are a Christian Will you take time this week to think about that transformation that that God not only made in the lives of these Ephesians, but also in your life? Will you take time in the busyness of life to reflect on on what it meant to be, be dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked? Will you take time then to think about, but God, his intervention that he's made us alive together, with Christ. And thirdly. Are there areas of your life. Where you aren't living. As God's workmanship. Are there areas of your life. That you're still holding on to. That you haven't given to him. In their entirety. Will you take time to confess those. To God. To ask for his grace. To transform that area. Or those areas of your life. That, that you're struggling with that you're struggling to give him on a, a daily basis? Will you ask him to help you walk well, to, to live for you, to live for him and to follow him in every part? And then finally, as we think about these verses, I wonder how could you use these verses in the week or, or weeks ahead to to summarize the gospel, to explain the gospel to a friend, maybe you who doesn't know Jesus as their saviour? maybe to meet up with them, maybe to have a cup of coffee with them or just whenever you get a chance to chat with them, how could you summarise these 10 verses to share the wonderful work that Christ has done in your life with them and encourage them that this too is available for them. Friends, a wonderful passage. So much that we can say, so much God has done for us. Let's pray and give him thanks for that now. Father, we thank you for your love. We we thank you for the wonder of the gospel because it reminds us of, of the terrible situation that we were in, in our sin, dead and lost, hopeless and helpless, unable to break free. And yet we thank you, Father, that you didn't leave us to judgment, but you intervened. We praise you for those words, but God. And we praise you that you stepped into history in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in Christ, salvation was won and that through faith in him, we're, we're made alive. We're raised with him. We're, we're seated with him. We thank you for the hope we have not just for this life, but indeed for all of eternity. Father, you know the situations that we're facing here this morning, the different challenges in our own lives. We we praise you that you're almighty God. We thank you that there's no panic in heaven, but Lord, you have a perfect And steadfast plan for all. Help us to look to you, to recognise you as the God of mercy, the God of love, the God of grace, the God of kindness, the one we can trust at all times. And Lord, may we know your help throughout this week to live for you, to consider what you've been saying to us through your word, to rejoice, to to worship you, Lord, to walk in your ways and, and to witness to your goodness. And Lord, if there are any who, who are listening who's yet haven't come to that place of, of surrender, of, of being brought from death to life, we pray, Lord, that you would grant them that grace to believe in faith. And Lord, that they would turn to you and trust you as their Lord and Saviour. We thank you, Lord, for our time together. Continue with us. Seed your word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.